Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. This episode joined by one of the OGs of Daily Fantasy Sports. You were behind Fantasy Labs, Action Network, now part of ETR, unabated. But to me, you're the guy with the check from the commercial. Because <laughs> when I started, I started playing in 2015. So some people consider me an OG, but you're one of the real OGs. Well, it's a kind intro, Jordan. And yeah, 2015 is definitely OGs by uh, today's standard. And that was kind of the peak of my playing career uh, within DFS was that 2014 through 2017 timeframe. And yeah, I was really fortunate to, to win the DraftKings live final when uh, they were spending a gazillion dollars on marketing. So uh, I'm glad you remember the check and not the puppet. I get a lot of grief for the, the puppets <laughs> back in the day, but uh, it was a, certainly a fun moment in time. Do you find it odd that I started playing DFS? I saw the commercials. I mostly just watched soccer. So I didn't wasn't exposed during NFL season or NBA or MLB. So there wasn't much with soccer because DraftKings didn't focus on it much that I saw it and I'm like, oh, okay, this is, you know, challenge-based, luck-based, kind of, you know, back of the sporting news, you know, you pick out the little thing and one person wins a million, everyone else goes home, you know, with nothing. Uh, I got into it after Ethan Gate. Oh, so you were in like October of 2015 or something like that? Yes, yes. I, I literally, I started playing a week after that story broke because to me, everyone in the industry at that time thought like that was a bad thing. But to me, it actually explained the game better, where it's like, oh, you have to care about what other people do. And then I look at it and go, this seems very similar to poker. Yeah, that's really interesting. That was a scary time in DFS. I remember that vividly. Uh, I actually almost won the Millionaire Maker that weekend. And uh, had I swapped from the Seattle Seahawks defense to the Lions defense, I would have won. I was in Seattle when Seattle was like 14-point favorites. They had this great defense. I was in second place behind either Papa Gates or Chipotle Attic by like a quarter of a point. And uh, I, I wimped out at the last second and didn't swap. And it was a crazy game where the Detroit actually, I believe, won the game uh, behind their defense. Uh, so that would have added to the the drama. So I guess in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it uh, <laughs> it didn't work out for me to win the contest. But uh crazy that that moment in time uh ethan i knew really well and that led to a lot of drama but it's interesting i feel like they acquired a lot of customers right before that and then all the negative publicity didn't bring in that many new people but that's interesting that it brought you in and i do think there's a lot of similarities with dfs and poker obviously well i thought that the ownership element like explained the game better like it felt like a lot of the commercials like didn't really just felt like, you know, pick a bunch of players and hopefully you do well. And then when you open up the app, it's like, this looks like an online poker lobby. Like I didn't yeah. get, I didn't, I didn't understand how anything was constructed. I just thought it was like one big sweepstakes. And, you know, if you one out of 1.2 million people, you know, get, okay, someone wins a million and why should I waste my time with this? But we saw even back then in 2015, like, like I, I, I considered like the ages, the eras of DFS. Like you existed during the first era. I didn't exist during the first era. I think the first era was like the Wild West 
And then the second era, I thought, started like maybe 2014, 15. And I consider that like the projections kind of era, like where you weren't just like, like, you, you, you weren't just like thinking of like, uh, like who's going to play if this guy's out in the NBA and like guessing. It's like, oh, we actually have publicly available data for this. And then like the second era was like, like the optimizer, the, the, the macro era, of course, the whole thing, they used to not have 150 entries. It used to be whatever. And now I think we're entering like kind of like the Sims era of DFS. Like the, the first question I always, I always ask for the OGs is that don't you, don't you feel like, I know you've been very successful, but if you knew what you knew now back in 2011, how much more money would you have? Oh, I mean, it's not even close. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm barely a win. I'm a winning player in certain sports now. I'm definitely a losing player in other sports. And I know 100x more than I knew when I first started. I mean, the market was just so inefficient. And I think, obviously, you know, with other peer-to-peer games like poker and, you know, DFS and other games, like it's it's really more about how you are relative to everyone else versus like an absolute, um, like your skill overall. And it's gotten way tougher to to win broadly now. I still think there's quite a bit of opportunity, uh, especially if you're willing to devote a lot of time and energy and have a unique process. But uh, games were so soft and easy back then. I mean, literally on DraftKings, when they first launched uh, for baseball in 2011, was it baseball 2011? might have been baseball 2012. Whatever their first summer was, they overlaid like 50% on every single baseball contest. And if you literally just stacked in baseball, you'd have a hundred plus percent ROI. Like people had no idea who that, what they were doing. They're putting in players that didn't start. And just even having like the basic correlation of playing like stacks uh, led to like just insane ROIs. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty wild to think about, you know, if you were as sophisticated as you are now had really good projections, optimizers were thinking about ownership. I mean, you would absolutely crush uh, in those games. Um, and I do think that the sweet spot of liquidity and uh, inefficiency was probably in that 2014 through 2016 timeframe. So you did catch a lot of that. And I'm curious, when did you realize, oh, I could make a lot of money in this DFS thing. I could be really good at it. What was like your kind of aha moment with DFS? Uh, well, I mean, I played for exclusively soccer for the first year because that was the only sport that I like followed. So, of course, I go in with the notion of, you know, I know soccer. I know soccer more than other people. The, the typical you know, DFS mindset of like, oh, I have sports knowledge. I could relate this to, 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 to a game like this. Of course, I used to play season long fantasy a long time ago. So then when, when I did that and I saw, you know, studying the sharper players, I'm like, what are they doing that I'm not? And then seeing how like, oh, they're, they're benefiting from the scoring system more so than, than it is like the players. It's like, they're not trying to predict who scores goals. They're just like, oh, who's more likely to score more crosses, more shots, more anything? The goals are kind of like the bonus points. This is more like soccer back then when crosses were worth a lot more money, a lot more points. Uh, but once I saw that, I would I would download the CSV. I did like what I did in online poker when I first started in like 2002. Just download all my hand histories and just go over every hand, right? Just like this is before poker tracker or anything. You just like print yeah. them out. I was going, I was working on Wall Street. I would take all my hand histories and on the train just with notes study and go, should I have raised there? Should I have folded there? Should I, whatever. So I did that with DFS and I downloaded the CSVs 
And I'm like, okay, what's Saramek doing? What's Pew 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 doing? What's like a lot of the soccer regulars? Yeah, oh, I know those names. Right? And then I'm just like, okay, like, oh, now I see why they played that. I see, oh, and now I see why they paid down a defender here. I know, oh, for this construction, for this slate warranted that. And then once I did that, there was enough dead money in the lobby that it's like I was playing lower stakes. I was playing dollar, two dollar, three dollar contests. And I just built my, uh, put 400 bucks in and, by that spring, I had like 10,000 bucks playing soccer. And then once I saw the prize pools and the other sports, I'm like, I get it. This is not a game of sports. This is a game of, this is this is a math game. And then I just went to baseball and I'm like, okay, how do I solve baseball? Then you go to NFL and you go, how do I solve NFL? And then then you find a site like Roto-Grinders and it's like, oh, there's all these like courses and primers. There's a, you know, Jonathan Bales. This guy wrote a couple of books. Let me, this guy seems like, I wanted the game. Th I wanted the theory of poker, the David Sklansky book yeah. for DFS. I'm like, someone has to have written this. Bales was the closest and eventually got to 2019. And I'm like, fuck it. I'll make the audio course. It's called Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. No one's else is going to do it. But I saw like stuff that you did on Roto-Grinders. I mean, a lot of a lot of the people in the DFS content space, I mean, all pretty much originated from kind of that core crew because uh, Roto-Grinders is the biggest content site. So I- Oh, yeah. I like, like the commercial with the dad. Like I learned by watching you dad. I learned, <laughs> I learned by watching you. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. Yeah. The Roto grinders was like, that's where everything started and shout out to Cal and cam and Dan. And they had the vision to, you know, put that together and it really kind of sprung DFS. I mean, DraftKings would have never succeeded without Roto grinders. Um, that's really what built the initial liquidity and they were really aggressive with Roto grinders. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember doing a college basketball podcast with Dan Bach in 2011, and I was, like, nervous and excited about it. So it's kind of fun to just see how it's all evolved. And, you know, now there's a, a bunch of content sites, a bunch of opportunity. Um, I really think the online course is really smart. Uh, kudos to you for doing that. And, uh, yeah, it's evolved into so many different things. And now we have legal sports betting in a lot of states and all these other forms of games. So it's pretty crazy to see how it's expanded. And, uh yeah, I think, you know, we're still probably pretty early relative to what games, uh, you know, around sports are going to look like in the next 10 years or so. Um, so well, I, I'm excited. And you also, you and Bales, like, yeah. why, do, why do a show every day? Why can't I just work once and then sell it for years? So smart. Genius. I mean, Bales did that and the books were just amazing marketing for him. I mean, Fantasy Labs, we had a lot of things kind of go right just given the the timing launching in early 2015. And, um, you know, obviously I had just won the million bucks. Bales had written all the books. So we had all this kind of organic uh, reach to the community that we were hoping that would sign up to Fantasy Labs. But yeah, we were also like, hey, there's all these sites out there that are doing just like content and, you know, stuff for that day. Like, why don't we build some software that can be leveraged uh, over and over and over again? Like one of the most popular pages we had was just like, converting like team totals and things like that on the Vegas page into like fantasy points and, you know, our models pages. And uh, yeah, I love the idea of just building something that you can iterate on that, uh, you know, can be a little bit more evergreen than just like, Hey, here's the top plays for today. Right. And same for the content for this podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that, I mean, this is the 107th episode, but you could pretty much go to most episodes other than the ones. I mean, we review NFL slates, but you could learn that way also. Cause I learned like, like, dude, I was watching shows that you were on, on Roto Grinders from like 2012, 2013 in 2015, because <laughs> I would read, I would read articles and go, okay, 
I, I'm trying to get the strategy, the game theory stuff. So it's like, I don't want the picks. I don't want the plays. But this guy seems to be talking a little bit more about like some macro-based strategy. So I'm like, okay, I want to take a look. I, I don't care what the slate was three years ago. Just let me let me hear that guy. Like I'm just I'm I go I go all in I go deep and dark into the well of uh I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna study this until I know I'm good and then then you get your money in and then oh it's great I, mean, I remember doing the same way. I remember doing the same thing in poker and uh, it's funny it's come full circle I mean I was a huge card runners fan and I remember when I first got poker tracker and all that stuff and now working with uh, Taylor and Andrew they've become really good friends and. Obviously, they're the founders of ETR. So uh, it's funny how kind of the poker and DFS worlds are so similar. And there's a lot of crossover with, you know, people. And that was really, you know, 2015 timeframe. A bunch of the poker players got into DFS and had a ton of success. I mean, I think that was the year A.E. Jones won the 5 million and he was a, you know, poker pro. Well, I mean, the same mindset that you have in poker is, is DFS and the same thing with sports betting. Like if you could think probabilistically, you're constantly thinking about edge and EV. I mean, to me, the basic concept is, you know, expected value. If you're thinking life EV, not life EV, variance, everything like that, like you could enter any game, including sports betting. I, I wanted to talk to you primarily because, I mean, we could talk about all oh, the good old days, fantasy labs, all oh, the good old days, crazy Gaby. Remember oh my him? Gosh, crazy Gaby. <laughs> the beard. That is a name I haven't thought about in a long time. Right, but that's that's when I first came in. I was like, oh, this is a guy hosting on Roto Grinders. There was some late night show with him or something. With I, I all I remember is that I was just going through content. I'm like, this 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 is an entertaining guy. I don't know how much value the show was, but entertaining. Crazy Gaby, Tommy G. I'm trying to think who else was like during that draft. Jeff Collins might... was there also. I mean, you, you, yep. I mean, you name anyone that's still around now. I mean, everything is linked to Roto Grinders in some way. Hundred percent. But uh, transitioning into sports betting. Now, we're getting to the point where I don't want to say DFS is a solved game, but the edges are no longer as humongous as they were 10 years ago. Uh, obviously, if you're good at DFS, you should be successful at sports betting, either in major markets or on especially props yep. is concerned. And I know at Unabated, uh, you guys have, you know, an odd screen. You just came out with the, you know, DFS pick'em tool that that I that I've tried out. Uh, because this this show is more geared towards intermediate to advanced players, like not the beginners that may not be successful at DFS. What do you think the the skills that people have to be profitable at DFS? What is the best way? I don't want to use the term best, but uh, ways that to explore edges in sports betting, in any facet of sports betting, whether it be the pick'em sites, the obviously, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, Caesars, the regular sports books. What what is the best way, do you think, to leverage and move? Because I've moved a lot of my volume to prop betting. But a lot of people may not be used to it. They're used to playing DFS so much. It's like a stack in baseball. I'm playing quarterback, run back. They're doing, they're doing, they're simming stuff out. They've got Excel open and everything like that. And then I, I, I went into sports betting stuff, and it's like, wow, this is, this is so much less complicated. Like it's yeah. the same concepts, but like I don't have to worry about 
Zach Giloff hitting two home runs when I don't have him in my lineup because if I didn't bet on him in home run, it doesn't fucking matter to me. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on that. The most inefficient market by far is player props. And, no, there's a ton of opportunity there, especially for big events like the Super Bowl. Um, it's inevitable that those markets will get a bit more efficient over time and, and probably pretty efficient over time because I do think one theme that's evolved with fantasy and DFS and just kind of how Americans speculate on sports is we love to bet on players. So I do think it's inevitable more and more that the markets will get more efficient, but broadly they're still really inefficient overall. It's a ton of surface area for the books to cover having props up for every single player on like all these different categories. So, you know, as a better, your advantage is that you don't have to bet. You can wait to pick off something that is inefficient to you based on your numbers or whatever your process is. And yeah, there's immense opportunity right now uh, on the prop side. So yeah, that's something we're super stoked about at Unabated. We have a player prop screen. Uh, we'll have in our concierge package kind of a really simple version of just like, hey, plug-in projections. We'll convert those means into medians and compare those to every single prop bet available and all these sports books that we have lines for. Um, and then, yeah, there's prize picks and underdog too, which is honestly just exploded in popularity. And uh, I do think there's quite a bit of opportunity there too, especially with correlations. So that's probably the lowest hanging fruit, especially for someone transitioning from DFS into betting. Um, I think the challenge there is that it's harder to scale um, the, the prop betting relative to picking sides and totals. But uh, there's definitely huge inefficiencies and, you know, there's big edges to be had. And I know people have made millions of dollars betting just props too. I want to unpack some of the stuff that you said because, I mean, you you encapsulated it all as far as transferring your DFS play into prop betting specifically, but sports betting in general, like I break it down into like the three M's because obviously for marketing purposes, you have to, you know, if you can come up with the alliteration that it always helps. So you mentioned like means like DFS projections are means because we want the mean projection because if we score 40 points, like it matters to us. Like yep. whether or not, you know, Aaron Judge has 40 points or 12, like that may make the difference of winning first place or not winning and not catching at all. But for a prop bet, like beating the prop by like four times, like doesn't get you any, any extra money. All you care about is how many outcomes are below that line and how many outcomes are above that line and where that 50th percentile outcome is. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, people that are, semi-experienced you know hobbyist in dfs they they use those mean projections and they go oh next thing you know they're they're hitting like every hitter over on the board and i've i've told them just from a common sense perspective of if every over is off by that much which which is more likely that the market is off or that you're just overvaluing that you're doing something wrong where if it's always over and never under, maybe maybe you're confusing what a mean and a median is. And how can people look at mean projections and convert that to median, even if they don't have like you have uh, with the, the prop simulator? Like how, how should DFS players look at mean projections for certain stats as it relates to, to the prop lines? Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're really trying to do at Unabated is make that process simple. 
and you know you take a player like Tyree Kill for example um you know when he goes off he's going to have those huge games receiving yard wise so he scores those really long touchdowns he's really explosive there's certain players that are going to lean you know more big play heavy um like Tyree Kill so his mean is going to be much higher than his median he might have one game where he has 200 yards which really brings up his yard mean overall but that's not as relevant when you're betting his over under on his yards. You want to really think about his median. So that's something that we've done and a lot of it unabated. And we've been invested a ton of money into data science. Uh, Rufus Peabody has really spent a lot of time uh, on kind of doing this. So basically there's different median conversions for different sports in different categories. Um, so we've, we've done a lot of uh, investment there and I think using you, tools you can know, be really helpful. Do you do, do you do it per player or do you do it per stat? We do it per stat, but there are for like the Super Bowl and certain big contests, we will do it per player. Um, but right now, just you know, it's hard to do over time. Our goal is to do it um, per player, and that's something that we'd love to collaborate more with, like ETR, for example, who's investing a lot of time into like distributions of specific players. But for our prop simulator, we basically have it set up in a way that's uh, per stat, uh, per sport. But of course, you know, there's a lot of similarities, with a lot of players that perform really well and other players that don't perform as well. Um, so we're still evolving, but I think generally we have a really good process for converting those means into medians. Um, I think if you're trying to do that on your own, it is a bit challenging, but uh, there's definitely ways you can do it. Uh, there's some, some math and some formulas that you can look into for some of the bigger categories. Uh, but broadly, I think the main thing to think about is that in general, uh, medians are going to be a lot lower than the means. And I think that's something that people can leverage. And it used to be really easy betting props. I mean, you just literally bet unders on almost everything because in general, people want to bet on things to happen. They're excited to bet overs. And that's why there's generally value in unders and why there's historically been value betting underdogs and things like that. But yeah, it's, it's something that's gotten um, a little bit more efficient over the years. And I definitely think it's important to use software if you're going to take this seriously uh, to basically find, you know, more accurate medians uh, on these player projections. Right. I don't want to use the P word because I've gotten to arguments over if it's worthwhile to use Poisson distributions. So in order we do, we do use some of that. And yeah, I, I, I would, I would, I don't want to butcher anything, but uh, Rufus could break down when and He's doing all these different algorithms. Right. I, I, different I, all I know is that the argument never ends. It's like, well, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Correct. And then it, some people are on the side of like, you ever use it, you're 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 an idiot. And then some people are like, well, in certain sports and certain categories, that it's it's directionally accurate enough that you might you could just do that and you could be fine. Yes, and that's where I again I lean on someone like Rufus. Uh, you know, Mike Leone is someone we've chatted a little bit about. Uh, those guys are doing a lot of hard work there. Um, there's a lot of sites. I know Roto Grinders is spending time there as well. So there's people that are are putting a significant effort into making these medians. And I think that's you know something that you want to look into. Um, and then of course the other thing that's super important, um, that's a huge advantage in sports betting and prop betting in general, is you can look for the best price. You know, one book if you're looking for an under on Tyree Kill, one book might have 80 yards, and another book might have 74 yards. Well, I want the over on the 74. If I'm going to bet the over, I want the under on the 80 yards. So uh, that's a big difference. Normally they're only a couple yards apart or something, but make sure you're shopping for the best price uh, when you're betting these props. And I consider that beginner's advice. 
Like For I, sure. I can, like I can. There to me, there's like a the segment I, that truthfully is like 95 percent of the market of people that like I'm gonna bet on this team minus 160, and then when you tell them it's like you know it's minus 140 elsewhere, it's like what does it matter if they win? Yeah, right? like, oh. to, me, to me, I consider those the lost cause people. That's what this this podcast ain't for those people. If if you don't if you're playing DFS and you're profiting and you don't know the difference between like can I get an extra half a percent edge for doing nothing, like then like then you're not probably not a profitable DFS player if you're not even thinking in that mindset. Yeah, I'll, I'll save that then. I, it's amazing to me how many people I think are broadly, I wouldn't say sharp, but like pretty smart. That just have no clue. And that's something like at the country club. That's like my main advice to all these guys who are betting real money and they're just pulling out one app. I'm like, hey, you realize you can go bet at different sports books and get promotions and get better prices on certain bets if you're willing to bet at more places. But yeah, I won't I won't go into that anymore because that is that's like the first piece of advice for anyone getting into this that wants to at least try to make money. Right. Uh the second thing, the second M. Because we'll talk about converting means into median. And I think there are common sense ways of thinking about certain stats. Like you mentioned, the big plays, right? I, I mentioned like like the difference in K, Ks in baseball are much different than hits allowed. The district, how the district, how much bunches up in the middle, right? Because you'll see, you'll see pitchers like uh like Jacob deGrom when healthy, like you'll see him have 14 strikeouts in a game, but you rarely see him have one or two. So you'll see the skew that skews his mean in one direction while his median is much lower. And then you have certain pitchers that barely strike out anyone, right? You don't see any tens, any nines, but you see a lot of zeros and ones. So his may go in this way. Now you don't necessarily need to do advanced math to do that, but just understand that even if you are looking at mean projections, that that exists. So even if you're NFL props and just think in terms of why am I consistently betting overs on this stat or unders on that stat? You may be over overvaluing what you think is the median, but one of the signals is the second M the market. And I think that one uh, caveat or one thing that people overvalue in props is that the prop market is not efficient. So you have plenty of people. I, I can tell you on a daily basis, Peter, that they'll they'll play on Prize Picks or Underdog, which I only could play right now until September twenty eighth, when Kentucky opens up. Uh, unless I unless I feel like going fifteen minutes over the river to Indiana, but I'm I ain't fucking I'm I'm not fucking driving to make you know bets over there and then drive back and then drive. No, I'm not. I ain't doing that shit. But so many people. Oh, you got you got to bet. Uh, you got this guy under under receiving yard under whatever on Pinnacle, he's minus one forty seven, under sixty three and a half or something like that, and I go and so and I basically my 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 reaction is and they go what what do you mean and I said I said first off that's the vig line I said so what's the non what's the non vig these these markets have like eight percent hold like even Pinnacle. That's literally eight, nine percent holds. It's like, okay, so what's what's the no big line? And then they go, What the hell are you talking about? And I go, okay. This is someone that overvalues offshore prop markets. Number one, because they don't understand how the VIG what the hold is. And number two, that these aren't like NFL sides and totals. These markets don't have like a million dollars of liquidity into it. You can't. You can't do one-to-one. -one. Now, is it a signal? 
Sure, but I know some people that take it as gospel. They go, well, prize picks, you need to get like minus 122 or better on, on, on every prop in your five pick to break even. So I'm just going to go on Pinnacle because they not think of Pinnacle as the sharp book or bookmaker or something. And I'm just going to compare and just go ding, ding, ding. There are tools that even do that. And they go, that's the way I'm going to beat the mark. And, I, and my reaction is always, that's better than randomly picking stuff. Sure. But to use that as like the holy grail is like misunderstanding what like the efficient market hypothesis is that it requires liquidity. Yeah, that's exactly right. So one thing, always take out the vig. That's one thing I'm super proud of. And I'm not just trying to bait this all about unabated, but I think the. No, I want to make it about unabated. I use unabated. I think it's a okay. good tool. Well, I'm really proud of this. From just a straight sports betting side, our most useful tool for just strictly betting, which you can currently win and win substantial amounts doing this. It's inevitable, though, this will get more efficient over time, too. But basically, our unabated line takes out the VIG, and it's basically a blend of the sharper sports books. But that's this only is for more sides strictly and totals. for sides and totals. Right. Right. Not for props. The thing that we did, though, is we basically back tested which books get to the closing line first and basically blended each for, for sports and totals. We went and said, okay, which books are the most efficient and the best at getting the right line earliest for each sport? So basically the unabated line is a blend of all the sharp books for each sport based on which books are the sharpest for each sport. So that line that has no hold in it is a great line to compare to other books uh, You know, when you're looking to bet sides and totals. So I do think the top-down model can work really well for betting sides and totals and, and maybe alternative markets as well, which we've done some data science around. But for props, I broadly agree that it's harder to win with a top-down model because none of the sites are that great at pricing props. You know, A lot of these DFS sites are actually better at creating projections, although they're means that have to be converted to medians. But broadly, those are more accurate than Pinnacle or a lot of these other places. So there's a lot of people selling tools that are basically top down for beating props where I think it's much harder to win in a top down process than it is to win, you know, just betting traditional sides or totals. So well, I, always, I do I think there's some people, interesting, there's interesting well, I always, information. The in the I always tell people that you, that you could use top down methodologies for props, but you need to start from some amount of origination. Even if it's not your own origination, it's, you know, Roto-Grinders projections, ETR projections of some type. Like, it's not the be-all, end-all of, let me just take a look at pinnacle lines and then just hammer book, hammer FanDuel when they're completely off. Yeah. And, and by the way, like, for that example, people use that one a lot. FanDuel's props are probably sharper than pinnacles mm -hmm. overall. Like, and that's the thing. A lot of people don't recognize that, yeah, pinnacle, bookmaker, some of these offshore markets are really, you know, Circa, another great one. Like, their sides and total markets are super efficient. They're getting a ton of volume there, but they're not taking the same amount of volume on player props. And their their markets are certainly not as efficient. Whereas FanDuel, DraftKings, guess what? They're getting a lot more volume on the player props. And yeah, I think it's hard to say, okay, this book's really sharp on the on the player prop side. I think broadly they're all pretty inefficient, which is why, again, I totally agree with your point. You should be trying to originate or take other people who are doing that work. Uh and convert those means into medians and come up with a different process. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't be more aligned with you. And I do think there's a lot of places for a top-down approach, but for betting player props, I think uh, there's much more 
valuable things you can be doing that will create much bigger edges as well. Like it's going to be hard to have a huge edge with a top-down approach and player props, even if the markets were more efficient than they are. Uh, the the other thing that people get wrong when it comes to the market, or I'm not saying get wrong, but there are two paradoxes that people, it seems counterintuitive to people when they first start betting on props using, you know, DFS projections. One is uh, market resistance. Like if you, if you're in projections, even if you built them yourself, Right. Let's say you built your own projections. You're completely originating from scratch. If you have, you know, a receiver projected median at 78 yards and the prop is like 53 and a half. Right. Like your first instinct should not be, how do I like mortgage my house on this? Your instinct should be, what am I doing wrong? Right that I am so far off the market. And then even if you think you have an edge, you put, then maybe you put some money down. You don't unload the bullet, you know, unload the chamber. You're like, okay, I'll put 500. Just because I don't, I don't want it to move 10 yards and then not gotten that edge. But like, if you put 500 bucks down and then like two days later, it's still at 53 and a half. It's more probable that your projection is, off then the market is off because if it was that big of an edge even though prop markets aren't efficient you would have think that someone else would have found that someone would have done it also so i think a lot of people and i I've, I've been trying to help some people with prop betting like they especially in baseball they'll, they'll get up in the morning right eight in the morning say oh my god my 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 model has this guy with like two more strikeouts than like on the board, and then they're like pounding like prize picks, and they go, I got to put a five pick, I got to put a three pick, and then like it's four hours later and the number's still there, and they're like I got to find more so I can pair it with this. It's like, dude, as time goes on, actually the more and more likely you're wrong. When a lot of people think the other way of like, oh no, it's just it's it this is free money. They're just leaving it up like this is just a stale line, right? But we see in the market, it's like even with props that the books will adjust somewhat, right? So it's it's one of those things where no matter how smart you are, you're never as smart as you think you are. Yeah, Jordan, it's funny. You just absolutely hit on uh, one of the biggest things for me. Uh, I've worked with a lot of handicappers and a ton of people, and it's just so obvious when you know, you're working with someone who really probably has a bad model or is doing something wrong. When they're like, oh, look at these 100% edges or 50% edges that I have on these certain stats, that's almost always a red flag. Now, granted, there can be some examples, you know, if you're handicapping a sport like WNBA or something very niche, uh, those markets can be extremely inefficient and maybe you can find some big edges. But if you're seeing, you know, a 40% edge in, you know, receiving yard prop for a mainstream receiver, you're probably doing something wrong. And I also think something that's really critical that can help you with your process that you pointed out is the difference between betting something, you know, early in the week or early when a market comes available versus when the market's more mature. Like you want to make sure you want closing line value on the, the prices that you're betting. You want to see if you think that there's a big edge somewhere and you bet it early, you want to see the market move towards what your number is. If it's not, that's another red flag that you're probably doing something wrong. Um, right, so and we see that with so so Peter, you shouldn't do 
uh, like if, if a receiving prop, right, actually goes against you, you shouldn't think the opposite of like, oh, now I even have an even better number. So let me put even more money down. Yeah, that would be a huge indication that you're doing something wrong. And again, maybe there are some times where you're like, wow, this is a big edge. Really dig into that why your number is different. I think that's something that's really great for your process. It's like, okay, I'm off the market. What am I doing? And maybe you go through it and you say, wow, I think the market's really missing this one big thing that I'm picking up on. Um, and maybe you do have you know, a, a really sizable edge on something. But if there's something that the market's broadly missing, that should still move in your favor throughout the week. And more likely than not, if I was shown 100 of these examples, I would guess that the handicapper is doing something wrong rather than the market just being way off. So that's really important. I love that, M. I think that's a huge part of improving your process. That's something I'm thinking about all the time. And uh, you know, working with some of the best handicappers, when they see a big outlier, they immediately think, oh, what did I screw up? It's that That's their first process. It's not, oh, this is a great opportunity. It's like, oh, something must be wrong with my model. And sometimes maybe they'll find that you know there is an edge there and there's something that their model's doing that the market's not picking up, but it's normally not this huge air that the sports books are making. On the under end of the market, let's say you're not originating. So let's say you're going to an ETR saying, I'm going to get my NBA statistical projections, my NFL statistical projections, wherever. And some people would say, some, a lot of people would say that if the information is out there, it's already represented in the market. Now, it's not something that I completely agree with, but it's not something I completely disagree with. So if you have publicly available projections, so for instance, in baseball, you have the bat, Derek Cardi's projections that a lot of people in DFS use. Like if 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 you're sitting there at at three in the afternoon and looking at the bat projections and you go, well, this number's off. Like anyone that has been using the bat projections would have probably bet on it already. If it hasn't moved in your favor, you could be like, well, I, I trust Derek Hardy with his bat projections, but I'm, I'm getting Mark. You're, you didn't even have to make a bet. You're getting market resistance as it is just on time decay. Like when is the information being released? So like, if you take a look at a number, no matter what time of day, what part of the week in NFL. So like, if you take, I, I mean, I, dude, I tell, you know how many people, Peter, come to me on my Saturday show asking me, what do I like on prize picks and underdog? And I said, well, I like this at on Tuesday, but you can't get that number anymore. That like the first thing you should think of, especially late in the week, like to me, late in the week, the first thing you should think of when you look at is, has there been any new information? Because if there's new information in the market, now the market may not be efficient depending on how the information gets, the quarterback may not play, right? The running back may be 50-50. We're not sure who, which way is it going to go. Early in the week, I think the I think not about information, sports information. I think about projection information. I go, when were the blitz numbers released? When were the ETR's numbers, especially if you're dealing with prop markets or underdog or prize picks? It's like, these are market making. Like in these markets, even though they're very inefficient, like. Like, dude, when ETR has an NBA prop come out, I guarantee you that number fucking moves, right? So if you're if you're sitting there like this early, going, uh, I think I may have an edge on this prop. It's like, well, what? How far away are you from a major release of a publicly available 
decently reasonable projection source. And the further you are away from that, the more likely that all the value is gone. Like the, the number you're seeing now does not provide enough value for you to bet. And the closer you are to release, regardless of you, I'm not even saying if you use those projections, I'm just saying at that point, like you should be thinking not of sports information. You should be thinking of release information. And then do you, do you, do you get the, the, the point that I'm you making? You just took like, all my talking points. I'm that's sorry. Exactly, that's exactly right. So I think if you're not going to be originating your own stuff, it's like, okay, what can I find that's sharp? I'm going to find these sharp projections. ETR, great example. If you're going to win with ETR, you need to be quick. You need to be first when that information comes out. Or you need to say, okay, when are they making changes? When is new information coming out? When are these other edges that I could have? Or another example, which is really hard to do, but actually comes to fruition is, when is the market overreacting to some of their stuff? A lot of times what you might find is that the opposite side of like an ETR prop or a market moving prop is the opposite side at the close because so many people have piled on. The book has so much exposure to one side. They move the price so much so that maybe there actually might be value on the other side. That's an extreme example. That's something you have to be really sure that you know what you're doing to, to take advantage of. But broadly, you want to be watching how all of this stuff moves and figure out where your edge is. Your example of the bat, that's a great one. You know, the the same challenge that these operators have of having all this surface area to cover, these projection systems have the same thing. They have to cover a large surface area. A lot of times they might be able to point out things that are wrong, but in a lot of examples, their outliers are maybe a hole in their model too. Like they're having to cover a lot of surface area as well. So you really have to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the information that you're using. You need to understand the markets. You need to understand when they're efficient, inefficient. Uh, I love your example. You know, it's a projection edge initially, and then it's an information or a timing or, hey, maybe a market's moved so much edge at the end. Um, and that's kind of how I think about it. Um, it's definitely harder to win if you're not doing anything on your own, but it's certainly possible. And there's so many good you know, resources out there. And uh, my view is that these markets will just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And another thing that you can do as an individual is just say, hey, I'm going to pool all these different sharp things together. I'm going to say, okay, I really trust ETR on their MBA, but I like this from Roto Grinders for rebounds or whatever. And like say, okay, where are they aligned? Where are they different? Maybe there's an edge here. Um, so understand where your edges lie and where you're betting when you're betting is really important like you outlined so yeah you took all my talking points i just kind of reiterated the same thing but well, i'm just, I, I'm just I couldn't describing agree more. what i i'm just describing what i do like in baseball to me it's like eight in the morning is the projection is okay can i get to these numbers before it moves because other people are looking at these numbers also and then at like five o'clock in the afternoon i'm not looking at any like I'm literally not looking at projections. I'm just looking at starting lineups come out. Yeah. Which could I go, be nice. is, is the starting lineup as projected? If yes, don't even bother. It's it's already five or six o'clock. There's no value on the book. Like, dude, if it hasn't moved by now, it ain't ever going to, there's no value here. Right. But if I see and I go, oh, oh, Stan's not in the Yankees lineup and he was projected to be in the lineup. Well, I'm not thinking of, well, the K's for the pitcher move. I don't know what's going to move, but all I know is that everything that everyone looked at at eight in the morning is based on Stanton being in the lineup. And now, now I'm going to, now we get back to having the projection edge because once those projections update with Stanton on the lineup, now the, the number is going to move. And can I get to that number as early as possible? And there are a lot of people 
that either don't even bother at five or six o'clock at night. And there are some people that don't bother it. They're the two you you could have both of these edges. I think there's more early than there is late. But like if you're the type of person that's like nine to five work and like oh, I don't want to get I, I don't have time in the morning. It's like come home. All you have to do is did anything change from the numbers? Did any information change? Any starting lineups change? Any NBA especially? And how do I take advantage of that now? And then if you don't have time because of dinner, and it's like, oh, I just want to, I want to do, I want to wake up in the morning, 7.30, knock out 10 minutes, and then go to work, and then not have to worry about it the rest of the day? Well, then you just get your get your projections early and bang them out. And if you, hey, the best of both worlds is if it moves enough and you middle both, and then you fucking win everything. Yeah, no, that's, that's the best. And to your point, I think another thing you can do that you're kind of hitting on is if you are going to do it late, Understand who's questionable, who's, you know, understand what the news could be and and be ready for obviously the unexpected. But like that could be a big edge in NFL It's like, OK, I know that the news could break one way or the other. I'm going to be ready to hit these props based on what happens on the news. And that's an edge that is actually really, really valuable um, that you can use for the NFL, certainly in college football. And then the NBA, as you know, like a lot of times the news doesn't just impact like one or two players. It can impact the whole team. And a lot of people are looking at that like one. Oh. LeBron's out. I'm going to bet Anthony Davis over points and rebounds or whatever. It's like, oh, he's out. You know, there's other there's there's implications not just with like one or two players. It's the whole team. Um, so understanding how the news could break is another big edge. And then one other thing, just about the market, especially on big events like the Super Bowl, we've bet millions of dollars over the last couple of years on, on the Super Bowl. And you know, early in the week, there's very specific edges. Um, maybe some of the overs that we like will hit. Then, then in the middle time frame, there's really nothing. Like it's you know, a lot of the edges go away. We got a lot of stuff that we wanted. And then where we bet the most is actually like the hour right before game time. Because if you watch those markets, especially on the Super Bowl, these prop numbers just go up and up and up and up and up in that last hour because they get all this public money coming in at the last, you know, hour or two that's just like, I want to bet this guy to score a touchdown. I want to bet this guy to go over the yards. And you'll just watch the market go up. And that's when you want to hit the unders on some of your favorite players. So you can apply that same thought process. It's not as extreme um, as like the Super Bowl, for example, but there's if you kind of understand how markets move, you can get a lot of advantages, and I think that's a critical thing uh, for DFS players transitioning into betting props. Super Bowl week is my favorite week to talk to casual sports bettors because I give them the the example like that. This, this to me, I view it as a teaching method and a joke at the same time. Uh, the Super Bowl prop, you know, they have the prop on the coin flip. Right. And a lot of times I, I don't want to make the joke of like, what's the sharp side or anything like that. But some books will will have it at like minus one oh two or something like each side minus one oh two, which obviously to any sane person is like, well, it's obviously should be plus one hundred. I mean, like it's it's like that. Tales like, never fails, man. Come on. Who's an dude. idiot? Who? Yeah. No, no. But here's the joke, Peter. I tell people that recreationally bet on sports. And I said. And this is how funny it is. I go, you know what the best bet bet that you're gonna make you're gonna make all year? Betting minus one oh two on the coin. Yeah, and then they and they go, but that's stupid. I said, Yeah, and you're paying less big than the bets that you're normally making throughout the year that you're giving up five, six percent on. And this is so much lower, but because you understand what a coin flip is, you see how how bad a price it is everything else is obfuscated to you that you don't see 
that, you know, minus 165 plus 145 has this hold and you're not bet you're not doing minus 162 on this other book. It's like, like you not betting on the other, you simply not line shopping is worse than betting minus 102 on a coin flip. And sometimes once in a blue moon, a light bulb goes in their head and goes, oh, if that's actually a smarter bet than I'm, what I'm doing, maybe I got to fucking, I got to sharpen up and not be an idiot. Yeah, and just the awareness. I mean, Captain Jack literally just put out his favorite five types of bets. And the, the number five bet was like, hey, if you're a square, wait till the games are about to start. That's when the line is super efficient. Yeah, you're not winning, but you're losing. Instead of losing 5 6%, maybe you're only losing 3 or 4% because the market's efficient. So same type of joke, thought. Um, and yeah, it should be something that clicks with people who aspire to win is like, hey, if you're if that's the best bet you can make, you need to change your process. Well, I, I also tell people that if they want to bet recreationally, like if you're the type of person that, you know, wants to do decently, but I mean, it's seven o'clock, their NBAs are games are on. You want to have 50 bucks on a game on something, right? You're just entertainment. Entertainment. I, I my, my suggestion to them, it's like, I, they're like, I don't want to go through all the numbers. I don't want to do all the research. I don't want to do like, even though it's not hard, right? It's not complicated. I tell them, I said, if you want to do a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit better than just betting before the game. I said, go to an odd screen. And if you don't care what game it is, you're just going to watch. I'm, I, I don't know, whatever. I just want to bet on something tonight. I said, go find the lowest synthetic hold market. Just like, just go find the, you find this, a, a, a market where it's 0.4% synthetically across the board. And it said, pick a side. I don't care which one it is. Yep. Like, just do that. It said, said that that is the equivalent of like playing like perfect, basic strategy blackjack and you're like okay you know you're gonna lose over the long run but you're gonna lose the least amount of money and hopefully variance goes in your way totally i absolutely love that and that's why i tell a ton of people with all forms of gambling like if you're just doing it for entertainment have fun but yeah lose the least play the six and eight in the pass line and craps play perfect strategy and blackjack go bet the lowest synthetic hold market in sports betting like all that stuff is great advice. So that's what a lot of people are looking for is just simple entertainment. They can make a quick decision. And uh, I absolutely love that. The last M is money. Okay. So we went through a median, median, market, money. Two, I would say the two things that people from DFS transitioning into sports betting don't get about money in general, this could be bankroll. This could be how money works in sports betting is one that uh, there's there's more of a way to quantify your edge, right? It's DFS, like using the Kelly criterion in DFS is like a lost cause. Like, good luck with that. Good luck with trying to quantify exactly what your edge on a specific slate for specific lineups. Uh, obviously, you don't want to bet full Kelly because... You, you never have that big of an edge, but the number two thing, and you mentioned it in the very beginning, I think a lot of people with an edge in DFS prefer DFS to sports betting because DFS, you don't have a scaling problem. Like you'd like, obviously do you want to play $25,000 head to heads? If you have an edge there, you you can like nothing's not, the sites are not going to stop me from entering every contest in the lobby that's available to me on a slate. So if I wanted to get $50,000 down, I could get $50,000 down sports betting. You're not guaranteed scale at all. And especially in prop markets, 
I mean, I'm, I make the claim that unless you have a plan to scale, that, I mean, this may be going against, you know, uh, your, your business model. Unless you have a plan to scale, don't consider prop betting to be something that you like you're quitting your full-time job for. Considering it's something that you could realistically, in a limited amount of time per day, turn $5,000 into $20,000 over the course of a year type of thing. If extra $15,000 for the family vacation, maybe for a you know, down payment on a nice car or something like that, but not something that in DFS, if you're really good, I mean, you could have you know $500,000, million-dollar years. Prop betting, unless, like the key caveat is, unless you have a plan to scale and getting the money down, like to me, like that's the hard, to me, that's the hard part. Like to me, beating the number is not the, not not the hard part. It's how do I how do I how do I ha have an account with my name on it on all these sports books, and then a year later be able to bet more than six dollars? Jordan, I couldn't agree with you more. That is so well said, and it's a hundred percent true. Like word for word, I've had the same conversation. Um, that's where the art of sports betting and props comes in, and it is really challenging. I mean, if you want to try to scale you know, betting or, or prop betting, specifically prop betting, let's stand props. It's going to be extremely challenging. And, you know, the biggest defense that these sports books have, um, you know, you're seeing it now more so with prize picks, like, yeah, you'll get limited and it becomes a real challenge and it's a real hassle to do these things. And that's why to me, you know, strictly if you added, if you're the smartest guy in the room, DFS is awesome. I mean, DFS, you can scale in a huge way. It's really simple. You know, when the locks are, you get 1099s from the sites if you live in America. It's really simple from a tax perspective. And yeah, you really, I mean, and I think the case is right now, I think the very top players, someone like Utical or something, and they're making millions and millions of dollars. The challenge is, is it's really hard to do that. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's only 0.01% of the market or less or something that can like really scale and absolutely crush DFS. Uh, you might be able to grind out some small profits here and there in the niches and like, um, you maybe have an edge in a certain sport or whatever, but broadly it's hard to just like, I'm going to play $30 million of volume and, and just absolutely crush DFS or whatever. Um, whereas sports betting, the edges can be, you know, really big at this point in time, but yeah, it's really hard to scale. Um, the kind of sweet spot that I, that I see is more on like the traditional betting side, kind of betting sides, maybe some totals in the more inefficient markets. I think probably the best market is college football because it's a good combination of scale and inefficiency, but yeah, it's really tough. I mean, another market that if you were just the smartest person in the room and, and better than everyone, like, yeah, if you can go win at NFL sides, like you can bet as much as you want. Like you're, you might run into a couple limit problems, but like broadly, if you can win at NFL sides, you're going to have no issue betting as much as you want. And there's tons of places that will just let you bet whatever you want, you know, six figures down on a game on NFL sides. So like, you're really not going to run into that problem. But again, NFL sides way, way, way more efficient than prop markets, for example. So it's really challenging across all these different things. That's really the art is like, okay, where can I have an edge? What are my goals? What can I actually scale? Um, because a lot of the stuff that's higher edge is much harder to scale. So you hit the nail on the head. That's something that we are are really focused on. You know, me personally as a better, um, we're definitely trying to educate people on the art of betting. Uh, at unabated and like being thoughtful you know if you're just going to go in and jam player props at seven in the morning like 
that's going to, you know, let's say you're betting WNBA or something like that. That's a quick path to getting limited versus, you know, mixing in maybe some sides or other things. So there's an art and then there's a science. I agree that the science on prop betting is a lot easier than the actual art. Um, and yeah, everything you said is just so spot on. And anyone that's telling you otherwise that like, oh, you can go make millions of dollars betting props, like they're probably selling snake oil or something. Well, I mean, even even late, I mean, like the, the number one thing that people would think of from DFS that played the major sports is like, well, NBA props. It's like, dude, like every day in DF, dude, it's a headache in DFS as it is. Of who's this guy's quite this guy's out that Jokic isn't playing. Giannis is out. And they go, I'm just going to wait until the underdog, right? The underdog notification comes that Giannis is out. And then I'm just going to uh, immediately go and bet Drew Holiday overs before like they they take them down they're gonna dude if you don't get this in like 30 seconds like they will be gone like they're at most 30 seconds right especially underdog who has the alerts internally right as they're going live i'm talking about other books fanduel DraftKings. like these markets will just come down they will literally pull the whole game off the board uh and then put it back up but people rush and go well i'm just gonna i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna stare at tweet deck or X deck or whatever the fuck they call it these days. And I'm going to wait for the notification and then slam it. It's like, like, yes, you got a great edge. Good you're luck. Betting limited three days. Right. Good luck. You're like you're, right you're, I mean, you're literally like the amount, the amount of it, you're essentially telling the sports book. That is what you're doing. So sometimes, sometimes getting the longest term edge sports betting is actually getting not, taking advantage of the biggest edges that you could possibly have. Do you remember, uh, Peter, the, the Draymond Green? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, the, and the thing about it, from the other side, I mean, yeah, I mean, this would be a really long podcast of just the incentives on both sides. But broadly, you know, if you're in the you know, other person's shoes, if you're the operator, they're looking for the people that are just trying to only exploit them. They're, they, they, they want those people limited, and they want the people who are coming on you know, betting for entertainment or not just having all this, you know, behavior that's exploiting them. Like they're, they're actively looking for that. Another thing too, is like, Oh, this person's only betting into us when we're the best price. Like that's another thing that they're aware of. So like you really have to be thoughtful if this is something that you're trying to do to make a full-time living. Um, I agree with you. I think it's a lot easier to just be like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make 10 grand doing this throughout the year and I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. That's a much more reasonable path to do. It's it's still possible to make a lot of money and, and do it. It's just you have to be really thoughtful. You have to have a long-term plan. You certainly can't just do the short-term like, oh, this is a great edge. Like You have to have a, a long-term plan in place to kind of extract that money over time. And that's really the art of sports betting. And by, sometimes the, the long-term plan is actually just being part of a syndicate. For sure. I mean, that's... I- that's a whole other thing. And also just along those lines, be really, really thoughtful. If you are thinking about joining anything, like there's the tax consequences, there's definitely legality. I'm not going to get into like all those, but do your research. Like the last thing you want to do is, is put yourself in a bad spot. Um, and, and especially if you're dealing with like shady characters or whatever, but know the right people and then just do research to make sure that you're handling taxes and legal correctly. But to just, just the fact that if someone's out there listening, going, Okay, I'm going to transfer some of my DFS play to prop betting, like, and do it themselves. Like, they're not thinking in terms of like, well, I want to team up with five people. I want to get accounts. I want to get you know get my friends to sign up and then take control of their accounts. Like, they're like, I don't want to get involved in all of that type of shit, right? 
they're sitting there going, well, the fact that people need to do that should be a very big signal that like, well, if you want to make more than $20,000 in a year, like you're going to kind of have to do that. So whatever notion you have of being able to bet 50 bucks a prop, a hundred bucks a prop, and then come out at the end of the year with a half a million dollars, you're just like, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the reason why everyone needs to do that is because if you could do it yourself and make a half a million dollars, you wouldn't need to have accounts like that. Yeah. And just being totally candid too. Like people always ask me like, Oh, why'd you start fantasy labs? Didn't that erode your DFS edge? And yeah, when I was the peak of my winning was when I started fantasy labs and it certainly eroded some of the edge. And then, you know, it's a, the markets kept getting more and more efficient. You know, we launched the fantasy labs news stuff. We used to be able to make money betting the news. Like, and I knew that that was going to happen in, in, over time and it was inevitable. The reality for me is that like, I love the business side and like, yeah, it's kind of like DFS. There's some, there's some simple elements of doing the business side as well. So just understand the incentives of people and like, yeah, I mean, you're watching this show, so you probably don't need to be warned, but like the touts are screaming. I have a guaranteed lock. Obviously it's bullshit. Like, just understand the incentives of people and like i think it's really important to to emulate and follow people who are playing long-term games that's that to me is like who's doing it who that can do it in a sustainable way who's educating people on like how to do things in a sustainable way and if you're the better yourself like think about the long term if you have aspirations of making a lot of money well i always i always mention the paradox the tout paradox in sports betting and if you understand how markets work You'd understand why sports betting touting is almost next to impossible to actually do for value is because, you know, someone will say it's like, oh, this person has, you know, the Yankees to win today, the the Giants plus three, whatever, whatever the fuck it is. And I, and I go, and I go, uh, what, 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 what time, what, what time was, was the, was the pick? It's like, oh, he released his video at 10 o'clock. And he said, what time is it now? He goes, it's two o'clock. And I go, is it the same price? He goes, yeah. He said, then he's an idiot. Exactly. Right. Right. right like, on the it, like it wouldn't be if, if, if it's four hours and he was actually sharp, like dude, the information's already in the market. So the market's basically telling, telling that information. Yeah. We don't care about you. Correct. So it's like, if they don't care about like, so it's that paradox of like, like if I were to tell you right now at whatever time it was to bet on this over strikeout prop and like, if it didn't move, if, even if you bet on it now, if, if it didn't move by the end of the day, like it's most probably that it wasn't trapped to begin with, right? Like it's hundred percent paradox of like, so that's the main reason why at unabated, like, you know, Captain Jack does, does those, you know, evergreen pieces. And I know Thomas Viola does the podcast or whatever. Like most of the content, like all of the content is not like, like here are the picks of the day, plays of the day. Here's, here's whatever type of stuff, because like it's nearly impossible to actually do that and prov- and it's you could do it. It is impossible to do. But you can't right angle it wouldn't be valuable past that moment, if anything. Right angle sports was legitimately sharp. They put out plays, the market moved heavily. So then it was inevitable that only a small portion of their customer base could get those plays. And honestly, you know, talking about kind of what we were before, you're probably better off betting some of the opposites of the right angle sports college basketball plays at the end because the market had moved so much and like a lot of people are just like oh give me the right side still and they're like oh like oh it's the right side because this is what right angle sports said 
and so the market moves so much. And I, I always say people, sorry, I'm rambling now, but like, no, I there's not a, right. there's not a right you, side. You there's a right price. Too. There's not a right side. There's a right price. And that's why it's so hard to tout. And that's, yeah, unabated. I mean, I've thought a lot about this. We've been in the industry for a long time. We're building tools where you can upload your own projections or you can see what the market's doing in real time. And there's never like a pick or anything like that. Just like, hey, here's all the information in the market. And our main job is not to give you picks. Our main job is to try to save you time. That is what we are trying to do at Unabated. That is the value that we are trying to provide is saving you time. So whether it's the person who wants to come in and bet into the lowest synthetic hold right before game time, or it's the pro who wants to see where the markets are and everything and how the markets are moving, we're, we're trying to build stuff for you there. And specifically for prize picks and underdog, what I'm so proud about with our tool is that you can upload your own projections. You could download you know, projections from other places. You could sync projections that we already have. And you then can you aggregate. can blend them. You can even aggregate the projections. You can aggregate, you can blend them, and then you can kind of do your own process. Because if we just said, hey, here's the winners on prize picks, if we were sharp, if we, you know, we had the best projections, let's just say, everything would move to that right away. Right? It would be the same problem. So, and most likely anyone who's giving you that is probably not sharp because the market's probably not moving there. So it is a real challenge. It's something I think a lot about. Uh, it's one of the beauties of doing DFS content and building things around DFS is that the game theory is so prevalent now. Sports betting, there's not nearly as much game theory. But one thing we didn't discuss that I'm really excited about long term is like I am super bullish on like survivors, the other pick'em contests. I my view is that Americans love games and that we'll see more and more versions of DFS and sports betting that are kind of mixed together that combine game theory and our peer-to-peer markets. I love Calcutta's, for example. And to me, there's a tremendous opportunity uh, for operators and for picks and shovels businesses to build around the kind of the future of American sports betting. That, that's that's I mean, you're we're 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 so eye to eye. My, when I saw sports betting come out of the woodwork, I go, go here. Here's the two things that I know about Amer- the American population. We grew up on fantasy sports and we grew up on spending a little to make a lot. So I'm like. That's what the appeal of DFS was. But DFS is a much more complicated game than just betting on teams and everything like that. So, like, I take a look at the Westgate contest and those types of things, and I go, go, dude, at some point, at some point when the liquidity is able to get mixed, right, it's not just state regulations and whatever, that there's gonna, it's going to be not like the sports betting national championships of like you have this fictional bankroll and you get to bet as much as you want throughout the course of the day. It's going to be the type of thing of like there's nine NBA games going on. We're going to release at you know, 10 at night the night before the lines, money lines and totals, and that's it. Or something, something where it's all like at that point minus 110s, right? And then go, okay, you need to uh, pick – you need to – pick a, a, a total or side from every game or something like, or from six of the games you have to, what are the six best bets? What do you have to pick? And then maybe there's a captain spot of like, or you order that and what you think your best bet is the five spot, the four spot, like something like that, where it's very easy for people to understand. They go, oh, okay. I think the Pistons are going to beat the bulls. I think the the Warriors game is going to go over. I think this, and, and they do it for NBA and then they pay five bucks and the winner gets $10,000, right? Like, like a Millie make, yeah, like, I, like I, I just view like that to me from an operator standpoint, you could put the 10 to 15% rake there and they don't have to even worry about making the fucking markets anymore. Like you yeah, don't even they, have to do any defense. Love that. That's where the puck's going. 
People love lottery type payouts. We've seen it over and over and over again. Prize picks and underdog are popular because you can bet a little or you can whatever do fancy for a little and, and win a lot. Like that's what people love. I have this vision for like uh, you know, you live bet the Monday night football game, it's like a poker tournament. Everyone buys in for a hundred bucks. You get the first play right or whatever, the first sequence right, you survive. And then throughout the whole game, people get eliminated. And then whoever's left at the end splits the pot. Like there's going to be so many versions of these games that evolve over time. And like, yeah, you know, if you're a good DFS player, you're getting into prop betting, like there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And that's something that's like super exciting about American sports betting, even like simple bet. And there's just going to be all these awesome new game types. I'm really confident in that. And like, yeah, sharpen your swords, do all this stuff, learn how to beat these different markets, and you'll be really primed to, to crush these new games. Right, because then you could go, oh, well, uh, the Pistons are, you know, the line's at plus eight, and now it's moved to plus 12. And it's like, well, everyone's going to play the Pistons because you're getting four points on the, yeah, but also it's going to be 78% owned. So it's like, is it line yeah. worth that owner? Then it becomes DFS, it becomes the DFS again, right? Yeah, I love that. And we're, we're building, we have a really cool survivor tool coming out. Um, I've invested in platforms that are doing this. I am I love that stuff. So anything that combines the game theory, I think is, is great. And um, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting year. And Jordan, this has just been like so fun. Like you and I definitely see eye to eye on a lot of this. And it's it's cool to see someone out there doing actual good work, educating people on how this stuff actually works. I try. I try. I mean, I, I, I only educate on the stuff that I do myself. So like if I'm doing it wrong, I, I'd rather someone tell me it's like, like, that's why the whole poison distribution crap is like, well, well you're doing this over there. It's like, am I close? Like, can't be directionally correct. Like if you go into the unabated discord, sometimes you get the, the, I, I don't participate in a lot of the conversation, but I've seen past conversations. I'm like, maybe I'll stay out of some of this because it's like, like I come from the DFS. It's over my head too. And I, I try to be pretty nerdy with this stuff, but like, the way they are breaking down how they're getting the mean to medians and some of the stuff and like how certain algorithms and distribution things are effective for certain stats and certain sports, but not others and way over my head too, but that's why we're, we're doing it. Sometimes that to, to, to sum it, to sum it all up. Sometimes when I talk to people about the mean median, that type, like thinking in terms of those tombs, I go at the end of the day, it has to be off like for prize picks and underdog, especially like it has to be off enough so if you i said here if you don't if you don't want to delve delve into the math and you want to know that okay the medians are going to be a little bit lower than the means but you need to be that the 55th percentile for like minus 121 minus 122 if you're sitting there going i'm not sure then just don't take it if the number is so far off then don't think of well is it far enough if it looks if it looks so far off you probably what's the worst case scenario? Maybe it's a minus one seventeen, and okay, you, you you screwed up just a little bit. But for the most part, like you could use some common sense of like, like if the if the if the the the, the, the K prop is 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 five on 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 prize picks, and you have a projection that is consistent across multiple projection sets at three point four, it's like take the under. Like, like, do, do you don't, well, what percentile? Just, just fucking take the under before it moves to four and a half, please. Yeah, it's going to move. <laughs> take the under. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole key is just like, again, the beauty of being the better is you get to wait and see and choose your spots. You don't have to make the market for everything. You get to pick off the edges. So be patient, be smart. And yeah, I, I think that's really, really good advice. And 
I'm excited to see how these games evolve over time. And I guarantee you we see more of these like big parlay type payouts, lottery payouts with a combination of these different things over time. So and then and then there'll need to be tools to be made to optimize for those. Huh. Speak my language. <laughs> okay. CSU Ram 88 on Twitter, because you're stuck with whatever name that you decided to I hate use. the name. It's embarrassing, <laughs> but it is what it is. Peter Jennings, uh, you can get the unabated tools, unabated.com. Unabated has a, has a YouTube channel, a bunch of educational videos. Uh, they have a Discord that is uh, fairly uh, fairly civil, right? Seems Try like to make it. it that way. Right. And, and, and not even made it. We have a great community, honestly. Um, there's some bad apples in every community, and I think we've done a really good job cultivating a positive experience, and hopefully those bad apples are out for the most part. So, um yeah, we're we're proud of the community that we have, and yeah, happy to hear that you're uh, you're watching some of that stuff, Jordan. It's been really cool just to hear kind of your perspective, um, and just the fact that you're doing all this stuff is great because there's a lot of snake oil salesmen, and then there's people like you that are actually helping people. So it's been fun to be here. We'll always be learning. I also also want to improve my communication skills of how are other people teaching the same things that I know and I've experienced, and I go, oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Oh, that's an issue. Oh, if it could help other people understand the concepts, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. The best thing I could do is show you. Okay, this is what I do, and this is how I think. And if you think, if you could think like this, you could pretty much solve. I mean, these are these are conceptual problems that you could expand to any contest, any 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 edge anywhere. So, you know, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to do it. The thing is, Peter. You know what we rely on, Peter? We rely on the fact that we could put it out there, but 95% of people still don't fucking do it. Yeah, of course. People <laughs> are lazy and stupid. That's just the older you get, and and it's just it's just reality. Like people are lazy and stupid. But that's why if you're willing to put in the hard work, I love learning too. I've learned a lot from you today, Jordan. Like go out and work hard, learn, and you'll be in a good position. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And if you want to learn more about uh, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, you can pick up the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.